0: Hi, this is caroline ray okay i was aunt hilda on sabrina the teenage witch but i actually have a name caroline ray and my twitter handle is at caroline ray i don't know how i came up with that one and here i am chatting with sarah shulman on comedy Bloggity, and she's adorable totally adorable and smart and funny which is what all women should be and um you can come and see my show at the gilded balloon at 8 15 every night until the 26 at which point i will be taken off the stage by ambulance from exhaustion
1: so caroline how did you get into comedy? Oh Lord! Um,
0: well, I, it's all I wanted to do since the time I was seven years old, and then I thought, like, I, I, I thought I was sort of predestined because every time I did anything, and I, I, then I started being an actress, and then I would audition for things like *Troilus and Cressida*, and be doing, you know, and though I loved you well, I wooed you not, and yet, good faith, I, you know, and the director would be, "That's hilarious!" and I was like, um, "That was that was a Shakespearean monologue of a tragedy." <laughs> And then um, it's sort of, you know, I think in life some things sort of choose you as much as you choose them. So I always wanted to do it and it seemed like um, I had success at it as opposed to all of my other attempted careers. Um, So it was sort of process of elimination and the only thing I ever really wanted to do.
1: What other careers did you consider?
0: Um, Well, I wanted to be an investment banker. (laughs) I know that sounds like the oddest thing, but... I love teaching women how to save money and make money and run portfolios. I know. I've got this weird other like math brain inside. Oh, the brain uses logic. So logic
1: of writing jokes.
0: Yes, the logic of writing jokes. But you know what? Sometimes I write a perfectly logical joke and then I really realize being at this festival, which is like going to an intensive workshop in which half the day they give you a massage and the other half the day they beat you with a stick. That's what it feels like. It's like torture and pleasure. But um. It's just about, like, connecting and playing with the audience. Like, your jokes can be well-constructed, but if you're not enjoying what you're doing and they're not enjoying what they're doing, then
1: it doesn't matter how great your jokes are. Well, you went to New York to study stand-up at the New School of Social Research. So did you find that that course was instrumental in helping you start your stand-up career?
0: Absolutely. That taught me my first five minutes. And that's the same course that Jon Stewart took and Jeff Ross, Um, who's a great comedian that we started at the same time and many people and it was taught by this guy scott blakeman and it's your first five minutes so yeah and then it gets you on stage i mean you know those are the that's the baby step because there's so many people who want to be a comedian but they never actually do it so if any of your listeners want to do it all you have to do is think about your the the five minutes of stories that you always tell like if you're funny and you want to be a stand-up you've been doing stand-up your whole life you know like I've, I, There are jokes I tell that I used to make my best friend laugh when I was like eight.
1: So what was your first gig like?
0: My first stand-up gig, I was wearing um, green uh, mini um, overall shorts with black polka dots on them. Because I thought they were really great. I looked like I was in Little Abner. And I went on stage at the comic strip. It was 1989 and my Australian friends were there and as I went onto the stage they screamed you're really bad and I was like I'm not even on the stage yet how can you heckle me and then I did it and it was fun and then I froze a couple of times and, uh, and then I was hooked and then I went on stage about 500 times a year for the next several years and what
1: kind of material did you do
0: um, I think my first joke was uh, my mother thinks I'm too aggressive with men because I had my last boyfriend put to sleep and I felt really bad because he knew where we were going as soon as he got in the car. I had to put a little six back in there. Come on, it's just a haircut. You'll be back for the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Says a lot. So, how do you go about writing your material? Do you have a process?
0: You know, I used to try and sit and write jokes, but mine either happen on stage or just from my life or when I'm talking to my best friend or my mother. Like, it's just in conversation that I realize something. Like, it's very hard to sit and write a joke. It is a discipline. Is, like, if you just sit there, like, when I go through the news, I think, oh, what's funny about this? And I'm like, I can't do it. But the fact that your two political leaders in Scotland are Sturgeon and Salmon is just the most, I mean, that, if, if God doesn't have a sense of humor and wordplay, it's hilarious.
1: So you're saying you were gigging 500 times a year. Did you find that the New York comedy scene embraced new acts or was it very difficult to get a spot well you know
0: what it's all earned so they will give you nothing and then they'll give you a little bit and if you do well and then you know i mean i when i first moved to new york i had a day job where i was spraying perfume at bloomingdale's like the sample girl and i was so bad at it people would like spray me back they'd like get stuff out of their purse one guy kept bringing me a feather and he made me like give him a sample every day i'm like this is for a woman And he was kind of creepy. And then I would go to my night job of catering from like, I'd finished doing that. And then from five until midnight, I was a cater waiter on a yacht. And it was all actors and, you know, everybody trying to do stuff. these were our like day jobs. And then I would go home and I would lie in my bed because I was so nauseous from being on the boat. And then I would get up at 2.20 so I could get to the improv at 3.20 to do my spot because when I first started, those are the times that you got, you got 320. And that was after lining up and getting the lottery. And then if you got picked to audition, and then you got a call back, you would come back. So that's how you got passed at clubs. And then Catch a Rising Star passed me fairly quickly. And then they put me on a lot. So I really, so I would, I would go on stage, you know, two or three times a night. And on the weekends, I'd go on stage eight or nine shows
1: were there are a lot of other women doing comedy?
0: Um, I started with Judy Gold, who is brilliant and hilarious, and Linda Smith, and um, Susie Essman and Joy Behar were sort of our heroes at that time. In comedy, you're as old as your career, so you're a baby. It doesn't matter how old you really are, but you're a baby when you start. And I think everybody quite thought I was the prissy Canadian girl, which I had no idea that I really am. And my mother to this day says... You know, you're a saucy little pirate on stage, but the minute you come off, you're just a prissy little wasp. And it's true, because I'll say anything on stage, but if anyone says something, I'm like, excuse me, my daughter could hear you.
1: Well, speaking of your daughter, does she know that you do stand up? Yes.
0: Yes, she has come on stage with me and told a joke, and it's impossible to get her off stage. She's exactly like her mother. I'm like, wind it down. Um, No, she can tell a joke. She's She's told several jokes. She's really funny, except she gets mad. She's like, do not say that I'm funny. Okay, fine. Then figure out another way to pay for college.
1: So what was the joke that she said when she went on stage?
0: Uh, Why are Santa's helpers sad? Low elf esteem. I know. She's funny. But you know what? She's so beautiful too. Today we were running along Prince Street and she, she was running and she got mesmerized. We were going to see um princess pump which she was convinced was called fart a lot and then told the woman at the box office it's called fart a lot and she's like nah it's called pump she's like fart a lot and i'm like okay this is not a conversation we have to have just play along and the woman would not i'm like just say it's fart a lot like what's your problem she's four you want to have this argument and um but as we were running along she saw this beautiful display of butterflies and she said oh mommy everything in the world is so beautiful And it's like the most amazing gift to have when you could be a jaded person who's been doing this a long time to have this little reminder of,
1: you know, her innocence and how sweet she is. And so do you find it hard gigging and now having a daughter?
0: Well, she's with me. So it's hard only because um, I sort of, as I've always said, I don't drink. But now that I've had a child, I understand people who do. And um, I also understand Red Bull, although I've never taken it. I'm seriously considering looking into it. Because having a child is a full-time job and doing anything else is a full-time job. And so <laughs> I'm just tired. It's, it's I only take a gig in the States if she can come
1: with me. She's more interesting. Mm-hmm. And having gigged across the country, all over the States and also in Canada, how have you found that different audiences compare? Well,
0: you know my impression of a, a Scottish accent. I mean, a Scottish audience. Total silence. And except the last two nights, which were brilliantly fun. And then... Total silence. And then a woman will come up to me and go, that was brilliant. We loved it. There was twice that we really almost laughed. And we were smiling quite a bit. I'm like, wow. (laughs) It's the, even that guy last night when he was boiling hot, all I said, can I take your coat? And he was like, no. And then I was like, would you like some water? No. And I'm like, I'm I'm not going to take your coat. Apparently I look like some kind of criminal. And then you offered
1: to give him a scarf instead.
0: Yeah, I did. And then I was at the end, I was like, here, take something. But what about that guy that was dressed like a detective?
1: He was hilarious. So how have you found that different audiences have compared between British and American audiences?
0: Well, I I think I finally figured it out again. It, it, it's the same thing. It's like you have to all be enjoying it. And I think for whatever reason, I've been doing this for 25 years, but when you come to the Edinburgh Festival, you forget that you've been doing it for a long time because there's some, you know, everybody's staring and judging. I don't think comedy is meant to be reviewed. It's... If you're getting a laugh, I think you got reviewed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, If they're enjoying it. But it's very serious here. It's just typical that it would be serious here. Like, The uh, the cab driver was telling me about the College of Surgeons, where there's like, when the body snatchers were caught, and they cut up the guy's body, and it's still in jars today, as if that would be something I would rush to see. And then he said, when there were hangings in Edinburgh, 15,000 people would show. And I'm like, with these
1: crowds, I totally believe that. (laughs) Someone's in pain and suffering. How much are the tickets? And having gig for 25 years, have you found that there's been a big change in the nature of comedy and the kind of demographic or style that people are doing?
0: Um, Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, there was certainly, you know, Janine started when I started and she was already an alternative comedian. Like, and we always thought like it was so unbelievably brave that she could be such a beautiful wordsmith and then not get a laugh until the very end. And everybody's style it's just you know it's it's a, it's a an art form everybody paints a different way I, I don't the only kind of comedy I really don't like is when women are told to, to not act like women like you know women who act simply like men on stage then I think you're missing connecting with your own voice you know and, he, and he, you, you should always tell the truth in whatever your art form is <clears throat> so you can help other people who are that's what I think I mean I remember when I told a joke about going to therapy that my first, I said, um, what was my joke? Oh, I started to see a therapist. Um, It's amazing. You sit there and you talk about yourself for an hour straight, and the other person listens to everything that you say. It's like being the man on a date. (laughs) And and then I said, I'm even in denial about being in therapy. I've just convinced myself that there's a friend that I see once a week, and then I lend her $100. (laughs) Um, but when I told that joke, everyone's like, you shouldn't talk about being in therapy. I'm like, I'm going to talk about being in therapy because maybe there's some girl watching and she wants to go to a therapist or about antidepressants or about Botox or about having a baby or whatever the human struggle is. It's because we're similar that someone's going to laugh, not because I'm unique.
1: Did you find that it took a while to find your own voice? Um,
0: no, sometimes I think I was way funnier when I first started. And now, well, the older I get, obviously my... Life is sort of, I mean, I, I think I therapize myself by being on stage. It's how I process things. And if I can find the humor in it, it doesn't make it seem bad. not I mean, like, you know, my father, my my daughter's father's getting married and, you know, which is, nobody is like in labor with their partner holding hands wishing, I hope you leave me one day for a girl named Krista, you know, but <laughs> at least you can make a joke about it,
1: you know. And you talk a lot about your family and your sisters and your mother. So do they mind you talking about them on stage?
0: No, because I love and adore every single one of them. And I don't think there's a single joke that I would tell that they haven't either written themselves or approved of. And I hope it doesn't come across that I don't love them because I'm not one of those people who, like you know, hates my family. Does it come across that I like them? Good. Okay,
1: good. And of course, you're in Sabrina the Teenage Witch as Aunt Hilda. So did you find that when you did that TV show that your demographic of audience changed? Of course. Like
0: I always said, if every maitre d in the world were eight years old, I could get into any restaurant. Um, but now I can because you're all 24, which I love. And I told you that a guy came up to me and said, I grew up watching you and he's bald. And I was like, holy moly, one of us is getting old. It's really fun now that kids who watched it come to the show. I'm sure it's weird. I mean, did you watch it? And is it weird that Aunt Hilda is a comedian? Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. That's funny. I haven't seen that show in so long. And the only person in the world who doesn't like it is my daughter. Mommy, I do not like the cat. It keeps talking.
1: And did you find that doing stand-up helped you, for example, when you did your own chat show and all the other different uh, film projects and TV projects that you were doing? Was that a really big help? Did that set you apart from others?
0: Um, Yes, and I realized, and the show that I was going to do, which I will do next year if I'm delusional enough to come back here, is I never figured out what I wanted to be because I love acting, and I really actually love hosting because I like talking to people. I love game shows. I think they're incredibly fun. I love doing stand-up, and mostly I love being a mother, so I just have to figure out an all of the above that combines what I can do
1: and the last time you performed at the Edinburgh Festival was in 2010 um, and you're doing your show here now you're doing a children's show and also uh, your stand-up show at the Gilded Balloon so what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far
0: it's always the same it's your entire career condensed into four weeks everyone loves you then they hate you then they think you're awful then they think you're the most incredible genius in the entire world and then you forget about all that stuff and you just have fun and you remember it and you get really tight calves because you feel like a mime you're just walking up a hill and the hill continues. Even though you're walking, the hill is somehow moving. It's, the hill is like 10 or 15 feet ahead of you at all times. And it continues to move. And then you're like, I'm not even on a hill. I'm on some kind of an escalator.
1: I'm an escalator. It's ridiculous. So what advice would you give to Axe coming to Edinburgh and taking a show? Definitely bring a lot
0: of antidepressants. Um, if you're an alcoholic, that's sort of a prerequisite. That would help quite a bit if you enjoy whiskey. Um, no, it's the ultimate test. Like all these things are tests for you. You don't let anybody else decide who
1: you are. And this is just a big test. And do you have a favorite type of venue that you prefer performing in?
0: Well, I do like one that's under 140 degrees Celsius, but that has not been available to me. So from here, I'm going to Purgatory and then the Core of the Earth. Now, anywhere that I can see people and connect with them, I'm not an isolated act. There's nothing interesting that I can do if the audience isn't there. I'm just, you know.
1: And do you have a favorite type of audience that you prefer performing to?
0: Yeah, one which is willing to be engaged. I like to think of my acts as a dinner party. You're my guest and I can't be the only one talking.
1: And in America, uh, the nature of the shows are quite different in that there'll be waitresses going around and um, the whole setting of the room is different. And for example, in Edinburgh, it's more like a theater setting. So do you prefer the kind of setting where you have more interaction and it's more kind of like a club? Or do you prefer it in a theater?
0: Well, I do like this theater, but I'm not one of these people who thinks comedy should be done in front of hundreds of thousands of people. I know. I I think it's an intimate thing. Like if you get more than 300 people in a room, it's a whole different thing because you're not telling a story. You're overacting or you're like projecting too much. And I think it's quite intimate. I mean, I've grown to love my room. I have. But yeah, I'm pretty much a club comedian. I like I like to be able to, you know, interact.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians?
0: Practice, practice, practice. It's not something that, you know, you get on stage as much as you possibly can. It doesn't matter when and where. And don't expose yourself to the industry until you are good and ready. And that means at least five years.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for students?
0: For students in general? Just enjoy what a complete gift it is that you get to sit there and absorb everybody's, like, knowledge. It's so fun. I would like to go back to school now. I'll go back when Ava goes back to college. When she goes to college, I'll go. Actually, I was thinking of going back to just to take like some kind of a course while she's in school, just because it's so much fun learning something. You don't feel that way when you're in college, I know. Are you in college still? I just finished. What did you finish in?
1: Journalism? Latin and ancient Greek. Oh my
0: goodness. Cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am. It was on my ring, the insignia on my school ring. Yes, we had to speak. We had to have Latin. We did for five years. That's why the other day I conjugated a Latin verb on stage. Anyway. Which verb? I was just making up the girls' names. Avo, avas, avat, avant, avamus, avantus. Oh. Avantus. Avantus. Yeah, so you know it. You're a mate. I don't know why. I was doing Ava. Okay, here's my advice for students. Even if you think you've made terrible mistakes at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, they will not affect your life. You have a million chances. You never just get one chance, you get a million chances.